Hosea chapter number 3. Before we do that, quote with me this verse, a very familiar verse to us, John 3, 16, right? Anyone not heard that voice? I mean, a verse, you even go to a football game and you'll see John 3, 16, you know, posted up. And you're saying, why weren't you in church on Sunday? But, uh, they, you know, they got the verse. Holy. John 3, 16, one of the most uh, searched, Googled scriptures. Uh, Tim Tebow, when he was playing, he would put, you know, John 3, 16 on his little uh, eye things down here. And at one time, John 3, 16 was the most Googled one day after he wore that. Uh, was one of the most Googled uh, things, not just verses, things of that day. Uh, so John 3, 16, a very familiar verse, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. Amen? Man, we hear it all the time, don't we? God loves you. Uh, I, I, at our church we used to, where I was a youth pastor in Florida, we used to, our pastor used to say, Go tell somebody that God loves them. Let them know. He, in fact, that's the way he would, he would bring up, uh, that's how he would witness. He would, he would see somebody in a, in a uh, gas station or in a restaurant. He'd hand them a track and he said, has anyone told you today that God loves you? And it's a, almost an overused phrase, phrase, God loves you. We can also find in the Bible that God is love. Okay? Uh, love is not a God, but God does equal love. Love is not an entity that we worship and not all uh, love defined by the world is of God, but God is love. If we were to define love, we could pull up Webster's Dictionary and, and come up with a great definition for love, but the best way to define love is God. God is love. So we're going to study that a little bit uh, tonight. Uh, when we look at the book of John, we see that love here, by the way, when you think of when you think of God loving us, he died on the cross. Just for a second, let me uh, tell you something that we all know and we've all thought of and we've all uh, been to Sunday school classes ever since a little kid all the way up and heard that God is love and heard the story of Jesus dying on the cross. But let's just for a second see how ridiculous, illogical this love really is. God has something that he creates, that creation rebels against him. God says, I know you rebelled against me and you want nothing to do to me, uh, with me and you have spit in my face, but I am going to give you my only begotten son and have him sacrificed for you. So he sends his son Jesus and he lives 33 and a third sinless years. And then he's so good, so kind, so peaceful that people hate him and they kill him. And that is our redemption. <laughs> that's, a, that's a crazy love. You look up here, uh, true love is illogical. True love is unequatable. It is ridiculous. And lastly, true love is not cool. That doesn't mean it's not cool like that. I mean, it doesn't come across as hip or awesome or cool. Uh, have you ever seen a parent at a Little League game before? You ever seen a parent at a, a peewee basketball game? Okay, I have seen some crazy parents in my life. Oh my goodness. Uh, but uh, in fact, I remember specifically as a teenager watching 
a little league baseball game and watching two parents just absolutely go crazy. They're both in, the, in, in a church that go to church together and just absolutely going nuts and yelling at the umpire. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what is wrong with these people? I told myself that day, I will never, ever be like that. And then I had a daughter. And she looks all cute and stuff, and she says cute things, and she runs up and grabs me and hugs me and kisses me. And when I look at her, I see, I see my wife. When I look at her, I see joy. When I look at her, I see myself. I see a, something that I created, and I can't help but love my daughter Jocelyn. She's four years old. She's, she's a trip. And you probably look at her and go, man, I can't stand that girl, but I don't care what you think. All I know is I love her. And I go to her soccer practices. I, could, I remember the first time I went to her practice, it was because the reason why I went to her practice is, first of all, she never went into a game. It wasn't because she wasn't good. She was the best. She was three years old when she was on the team, and she was playing with a bunch of four-year-olds and five-year-olds. But she was scared to death to get on the, uh, the soccer field. She didn't like to play. She would get shy, and I'd try to, you know, push her out there. I'd say, I'll even go out there with you. I'm, the, you know, I'm a grown man standing amongst all these, you know, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and five-year-olds trying to get her to play, and she wouldn't play. So the only gratification I could get is if I went to a practice. Finally, she got into a practice, and she actually kicked the ball. And I think it was even by accident. Uh, I think I may even said her name, and she wasn't looking, and she, you know, kicked the ball, and it went in the goal. And I remember going crazy. I was the only man at the practice. It was all like wives and, and, uh, and like nannies. And I'm like pushing nannies over, pushing, pushing girls over going, that's my daughter. Whoa, you know, I'm running with her. And they, you know how they take the shirt and they flip it over. No, I didn't do all that. But I was going crazy. And by the way, I didn't care if anybody thought I was weird. I wasn't looking for anybody else's reaction because love causes you to be irrational. It causes you to be illogical. You ever seen a, a, a two people in love? And do dumb things, right? You ever seen that before? It causes you not to, not to think straight sometimes. And love doesn't always make sense. But when we look at the love of God, it is different than human love. The two can be very similar. When we look at what Christ did on the cross, the best way that I can describe it is for us to look here in Hosea chapter number 3. Before we read part of this passage, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Hosea chapter 1 and 2 and kind of get you caught up to the story here. Hosea is a prophet, okay? Hosea is a prophet. We know that he's in the book of prophets. And a lot of times God would ask prophets to do absolutely crazy things. You think about um, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was asked to spend his life going to the kings of Israel and pointing his finger in their face and saying, God is going to judge you someday. You need to get right with God. And God told him up front, you will never marry anybody. Can you imagine, those of you who are single in here, if God went to you and told you, you are not going to marry. Don't even try falling in love. You're going to live your life, your whole life. Your only job is going to be to talk to kings. And by the way, they're not going to listen to you. We go, that's a waste of time. There's no way I'm going to do that. God would often ask prophets to do absolutely crazy things. And the same thing happened with Hosea. We can think of Elisha and Elijah. They were asked to do abnormal things. And God asks Hosea, says, Hosea, I've got a job for you. I've got a plan for you if you'll accept this mission. 
I want you to go marry a prostitute. <laughs> I can, I did, the conversation doesn't go between Hosea and God, but I'm thinking if I'm Hosea, I'm going, <laughs> God, you do know that I'm a man of reputation. <laughs> I, I'm a prophet. <laughs> I can't do that. But Hosea accepts the mission. God doesn't explain to him why he wants him to do it. He just says, I want you to go find yourself a wife. That's a prostitute. And he marries this girl. Her name is Gomer. <laughs> I mean, the poor girl had it out from this very start. I mean, my goodness. Her name is Gomer. Okay? Can you imagine introducing? Like, my wife is Denise. I, I have no problem saying, what? Denise, can you stand up for a second? No, I'm just kidding. Don't stand up. But I have no problem saying, look at my beautiful wife. She's very beautiful. Her name is Denise. Beautiful name. I mean, I can imagine Hosea, if he went around and traveled, you know, and, and maybe preached at another church, he probably wouldn't even have mentioned that he was married. He probably would have been like, yeah, and there's, I have a wife. Her name is Gomer. <coughs> and uh, if you all want to meet her, we'll be gone. You know, she, she probably, he, I'm, it was probably hard on Hosea. His wife's name is Gomer. And Things seem to be going first the first couple of years. Uh, uh, things seem to be going good the first couple of years. They have a son. They have a daughter. And everything is going good. And Hosea still doesn't know what the plan is, why God would have asked him to do such a thing. But things seem to be going okay. Then one day, Hosea wakes up and Gomer is not there. He goes in the kids' room. He says, hey, kids, have you seen, have you seen mom? No, dad, I haven't seen her. Okay. He goes and checks in the kitchen, checks in the basement, checks around the town and finds out by word of mouth Gomer has left him. In fact, Gomer has not just left him. Gomer has now gone back to doing what she used to do. I want you to picture for a second, all of us, we have our reputations, don't we? We're very proud of our reputations or not proud of our reputations or trying to overcome a reputation or keep our reputation. I can imagine Hosea saying, God, why would you do this to me? I don't understand. Why would you have me marry this woman knowing full well that I'm a man of reputation, I'm a prophet in Israel? This is 750 years before Christ would be born. Hosea is living in the northern part of Israel, and at this time, Israel is going through one of the best financial economic times that it's ever been through. Things are going seemingly great. There's no want for money. There's no want for food. There's no famine in the land. Everything is going okay. God asked Hosea to do this. Why? And then she leaves him. And then God asks him to do one more crazy thing. Said Hosea, now I want you to go, I want you to go find your wife, and I want you to remarry her. God, you serious? You're asking me to already, I thought I already gave enough. You told me to marry someone that was gonna ruin my reputation. I married her, things seem to be going good. She leaves me. Now you want me to remarry her? Are you sure about that? He says, yes, I do. And so Hosea goes searching for Gomer. Doesn't say in God's word exactly where he finds Gomer, but we can imagine that 
he had to look for Gomer in a place where a man of God probably ought not be. I can't imagine the shame. I can't imagine the, the dirtiness that Hosea felt as he's looking for his wife. It doesn't explain how the exchange went when he finally found Gomer, but if you look at Hosea chapter 3, verse number 1, it says, Then the Lord... Then said the Lord unto me, go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an omer of barley and half an omer of barley. Hosea finds his wife, and we don't know exactly the situation, but we know that he ended up having to buy her back. He had to reach into his own pocket and spend money, give of himself yet again, to buy back something that most of us would consider definitely not worth the price. Man, I can't imagine Hosea being told by God to do this and not understanding what the reason was. Have you ever been, felt like God wanted you to do something and you could not understand why would God have me do this? Doesn't God know who I am? I'm a prophet. I'm a man of renown. I'm a man of something. Well, we don't see that from Hosea. We see a man that, Obviously, he wasn't in love with his wife because of the name, (laughs) Gomer. He wasn't in love with her for her beauty. wasn't in love with her for her wealth, for her reputation. He loved her because God said, love her. Irrational. Doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. Unequatable. And Hosea doesn't know why. You see, at this time, Israel, like I said, believed that love could be purchased. They're living in the best time of their life. Living in a time of, uh, of, especially in the northern part of Israel, a time when wealth was at its greatest. They believed at this time that love could be purchased, that it could be attained by love and favor. They believed that love was self-gratification. Or lust. They believed that love was attraction. I love you because I desire you. I, th- I love what Brother Dave said this morning when he was talking about Samson. I thought of that immediately. How Samson looked at Delilah and what? She pleased him. That's not love. There was nothing about Gomer that was pleasing to Hosea. They also thought that love could be found in things. At this time... Israel was at the height of idol worship. They loved things, not people. And they put that above their love for God. Does that sound to you like another nation today? But then God is using this picture. God shows Israel what love really is. He says, Hosea, I want you to go Purchase something that was already yours. 
God created you and me. For God so loved the world. What is the world? The world is everybody. The world is everyone that's in it. You and me are the world. And God so loved the world. God loves you. He can't help but love you because God is love. You say, I am not worthy of love. I'm not, there's no way that God could love me. He doesn't know. Oh, he does know. He knows what I've done. There's no way that God could love someone like me. God can't help but love you because God is love. A lot of us live underneath this guilt of, I, there's no way I could do anything for God. There's no way I could be what God wants me to be. If there was a plan A that God had for me, I'm on plan Z. There's nothing that I can do to make a difference. There's no way that God can use me. And yes, he can. You see, we're Gomer. We're unlovely. And when I think of my life, if we were to, if we were to, all of a sudden on this screen in back of me, it popped up, it said, and, 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 uh, and uh, Brother Joe said, surprise, guess what? We're actually going to be showing all of your life, and we're going to be showing all of your inner, inner thoughts, anything that you've ever thought of, your thought life, everything is going to be shown on the screen tonight. Every one of you would probably stay, shame on you, and I would definitely be out of here. Because at best... We are sinners, and we're unlovely, and there's nothing about Matt Thistle that's good. You just ask my wife. No, that was, you weren't supposed to laugh that loud. We are unlovely, but God's love, thank God, it doesn't depend on our loveliness. It doesn't depend on what we've done or who we've been or what we are. It depends on the fact that God is love. What a relief. That means to obtain God's love, I just have to be the world. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean part of people that are born. And that's me. I can choose to accept his love. I can choose to reject his love. Either way, God still is love, and you cannot stop him from loving you. See, Hosea was picturing a savior that even though he owned the cattle on a thousand hills, though he owns the world and the fullness thereof, he bought you and me on a cruel cross and paid for us. You look at Hosea and you say, Hosea, what are you? What is wrong with you? Why are you buying something that you already own? And God did the same thing for us. He created us. And even though we were sinners, even though we were unlovely, even though he owned us, we rejected him. He said, that's okay. Even though you rejected me, I'm still going to pay for you, even though I own you already. That is irrational. There's no way that I can understand God's love. I don't know why he would do that. But he did. He did. He took his son and he paid for me. Not only did he pay for sin, but think of this. Not only did he pay for sin, but he became sin. God's number one attribute is holiness. How could he take on sin? 
for me. That thought ought to overwhelm you. God, why would you look at someone that was unlovely? Why would you look at a gomer who was rotten and sinful and pay for him even though you already owned him? And that drives me to a love for God. See, most of us with our human nature, the way that our sinful nature makes us think, we try to love God. We say, what can I do to love God? How am I going to love him? I can look at somebody and say, okay, uh, love, 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 love. Okay, now I love you. I said it five times, and that's the secret to loving. I look at my wife. What makes me love her is not the fact that I go, man, I better stay with her because if I don't, she is going to kill me. If I ever cheat on Denise Thistle, I'll tell you what, she is going to absolutely let me have it. Oh, that makes me love her so much. Look at this. Hosea chapter 3. Look at verse number 4. God is telling Hosea here, he's saying, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. Afterward, after what? After this example, after they see what Hosea has done for Gomer, shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God. And now he's speaking of a time 750 years in the future. He hasn't seen it. He's never heard the name Jesus before. So he's doing the best he can. And he says, and seek the Lord their God. And David their king. There is no David anymore. David has gone and died. So what is he talking about? Seek David their king? What do you mean David their king? Hosea was doing the best he could. He knew that one day there was going to be a Messiah that was going to come. And he was going to be out of the lineage of David. And he said, when you see this, when you see this, one day this is going to be a picture of somebody who's going to come and his name will be David or Jesus, the messianic David. And shall what? Shall fear the Lord in his wrath. No. In his what? His goodness. They shall fear his goodness in the latter days. When God came... And gave his son and so loved the world. He said, I'm not coming now to bring wrath upon you. Look at John chapter 3 again. Look at John chapter 3 real quick, if you will. Maybe you probably didn't even turn there. In John chapter 3, we looked at John 3, 16, and it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, it never gets read. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God didn't come. God didn't send his son to say, lousy you, wretched you, ugly you. No, he came to say, beautiful you. You have a chance to be my son. You have a chance to be part of the family of God. I love you. I love you. 
God can't love me. He is love. We think we know what love is. We watch television. Anybody with me here? Any husbands in here that your wife, all they did during the Christmas season was watch Hallmark movies? No, I really loved it. It was great. I loved all of them, the, all their predictable plots. We watch these movies and we see two people get together and then they fall into love and they just can't help themselves. And we go, okay, that's what love is. And then I look at my daughter and I say, oh, that's what love is. Love doesn't have to be pretty. Love doesn't have to be beautiful the way that we see beauty. The reason why love is beautiful is because God is beautiful. And I can't help but think of my God and love him. Why? Because he first loved me. You want to know why the Christian life is so hard sometimes? It's because you're dragging this whole big burden on yourself. You're dragging it around. Going, maybe one day God will be okay with me. Maybe one day I can prove to God my love for him. Maybe one day he'll love me as much as I want him to love me. Not that I have seen it, but you ever seen like American Idol I haven't, but uh, you ever seen uh, American Idol or those, uh, there's another show on there that, that they sing and someone maybe out of poverty or they usually have this great story and they win the competition, right? And then they become this famous singer and then they make millions of dollars and ruin their life after that, you know? Uh, but they, you ever seen those? They, they have a, but my favorite part of those is the audition, right? They come in and you have someone that thinks they know how to sing and, they're, and then they all laugh at them. You know, and all of the nation laughs at them, right? Those are my favorite. That's my favorite part is watching the audition. You know what's so, you know what, you know why we love watching that? Because that's in our nature to go, oh man, can you imagine being that person that just hits the note just right that one time and, and makes the audition and then goes to the next audition and then finally reaches the pinnacle of being a music superstar, And we live our Christian life the same way. We go through life in this audition hoping that God will just audition for God's love and maybe he'll give it to us. And maybe one day we'll be worthy. Guess what? The audition is already over. The audition happened when God said he is love. When he gave his son, audition over. He loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. God loves you. We like that. When we really start to think about it, we go, I like that. I like being loved. I like it being unconditional. God's goodness, not his wrath, is what drives people to repentance. When I think of my wife's love for me, that is what drives me to a deeper love with her. Not the fact that if I cheat on her, she'll hurt me. 
Some of you, the reason why you, you don't love God as much as you should or you don't feel that love is because you think you're auditioning for it. If you would really truly think of what God did for you unconditionally, he gave his only begotten son, yet he was holy, but became sin for me? That drives me to say, God, I'll do whatever you want. Whatever you want me to do. Look at Matthew chapter 9. It's the last, one of the, Second to last place we'll go. I promise you I've got three more minutes and, and then I'm done. Matthew chapter 9. <clears throat> Pardon me. Verse number 9 <clears throat> says, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew, not me, different Matthew, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came to sit and sat down with him and his disciples. <clears throat> and the Pharisees saw it, and they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? The religious crowd is saying, Why is Jesus spending time with bad people? Why is he, why is he spending time with sinners and publicans? Doesn't he know that will ruin his reputation? Doesn't he know what that looks like? That's not beautiful. But when Jesus heard that, verse 12, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He was quoting, Jesus here, was quoting in verse 13, Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. So you want to know why I spend my time with bad people? You want to know why I spend my time with sinners and giving them love even though they don't deserve love? I showed you all the way back in the Old Testament. Back then, that's all they had, the Old Testament. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They had the Old Testament to look at. He said, go back to your Bible. Hosea at this time had no idea what he was doing. God did not say, hey, one day, one day, there's going to be a time when I'm going to be spending time and showing love. And it's going to be an example of exactly what you did 750 years ago. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to love unlovely people. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to do what God wants us to do. He has a plan for us, and we go, that doesn't fit into my plan, God. And most of the time, things that God does, they don't happen right away. And we don't get to see the fruit right away. Hosea never saw the fruit. It happened 750 years later, Christ quotes the book of Hosea and says, I already showed you, Pharisees, what love is. Look at Hosea and Gomer. That's love. We're Gomer. God is Hosea. Thank you, God. When I think of your love for me, what you did for me, 
I know that I'm unworthy. I know that I am. But it makes me want to serve you. You wonder why you don't serve God? You wonder why the, you're wondering where the heart for service is? It's because you're not thinking of the love of God. Say, so I'm just not motivated. I'm always tired. I just, you know, I come to church out of routine. It's just what I do. I just do this thing that we call church. I don't really have a desire. Maybe it's just not me. It's not in my DNA. I'm just not a servant. If you'll think of what God did for you, that will drive you. God sent his son. You have two things here in conclusion that you can do. You've either not accepted his love if you don't understand his love. If you, you have not accepted his love or understand that you must continue to accept his love. Or number two, you're not spreading his love. See that book, the book of Hosea, the love story that's of Hosea and Gomer is meant to be told over and over again. The good news, the gospel, the story of God's love is meant to be given. It's not meant for us to hoard it in and say, oh man, that's a good story for me. That makes me feel good. I'm glad God loves me unconditionally. God says, no, I want you to go and spread that story. Spread the story of my love. Because when people hear about my love, and if they'll believe that I did that for them, it will draw men unto repentance. Are you spreading his love? Are you accepting his love? We've got to do both. First, we have to accept his love the first time. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and never accepted what Christ did for you on the cross, that love that he gave, you need to do that first. And then we need to accept that he loves us every day. I have to live in a constant state of repentance because my sin nature is still inside of me. The real Matt Thistle will never go away. I have God living inside me, the Holy Spirit, but I have to repent to, to him every day, not for salvation. I'm sealed. I'm good for, for the rest of my life. I'm sealed into the day of redemption. But in order for it to drive me to share that love with others, I have to think of that love and dwell on that love. Remember the day you got married, for those of you who are married? Remember the day of your salvation? Do you remember how you couldn't stop telling people about it? Remember when you met that special someone and you fell in love with them? And you told all your girlfriends or guys you told your friends? You said, hey, man, I met this girl. And you can't help but talk about the person that you love. If you'll dwell on the love of God, you won't be able to help but talk about the love of God. Because it's a love relationship.